For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, everybody. I am super stoked to have Mr. Tim McMaster on. He was very gracious enough to do this very, very last minute. And I cannot say how much I appreciate that. Um, you know, he's a busy guy. I'm pretty sure I just saw him like strangling a deer. I don't know if anybody um, out there has watched The Leftovers, but there was a guy in that show that in season three, he would bring a goat in everywhere and he would slit its throat. That was kind of what just happened. But um, I didn't get that on camera. So uh, that's a little bit of a long diatribe. <laughs> Tim, how you doing? Good. Not, not slaughtering any goats yet. The butcher shop's not done yet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's awesome stuff, though, and I'm super excited to talk about that because uh, I've advocated a lot on this channel for um, the consumption of animal products and particularly bringing about um, better animal products and pushing for regenerative agriculture. Because right. um, as libertarians, um, I had Jonathan Howe on, who's running for Congress up in New York. Um, I feel like libertarians don't talk about the environmental issues all that much, and it's hard to parse out the propaganda from the actual, you know, the wheat from the chaff. Right. But I feel like this is an area where we can make a lot of headway. And I think you're doing that. So um, I guess we can hit on that first, um, you know, kind of give a, a brief introduction about how you got into this uh, animal agriculture. So I got into this uh, basically when I had kids and I didn't like not knowing where the food that I was feeding my kids was coming from. So we, my wife and I, we made the choice, like, hey, we're going to start looking into this. And the more we started looking into it, the more I was like, I don't want to eat that shit. How can I feed that to my kids? Um, so it started with just a little, you know, a little patch in the backyard, just a little garden, you know, and like the, the, just the taste and the convenience of just walking out, picking something for dinner was awesome. Um, then we expanded that to like, well, let's get a couple of laying hens, you know, because fresh eggs are phenomenal. Um, and it kind of snowballed from there. I ran into a couple of, regenerative farmers that are local to me here in the, in York County and sort of started picking their brain and seeing what they were doing it, how they were doing it and seeing how much fun they were having doing it. Um, and like how much better like their land was compared to other farms that I see. They're not putting any kind of uh, petroleum based products down as fertilizer. They're not using, you know, like massive amounts of 
insecticide or herbicide, you know, they're doing everything natural and balanced with nature. And being here in, in central Pennsylvania, we're, you know, kind of the, the epicenter of the Chesapeake Bay watershed. So that's been constantly drilled into our heads for years and years and years about how, you know, we need to take care of what we put on the land is eventually going to run off and it's going to go out into the Chesapeake. And so you, you kind of kind of build in that mindset of like what I do here locally in my little patch of heaven that impacts a, a much wider area. Um, and then we started raising uh, chickens for eggs and for meat. Um, I think at the peak of our production, we were processing on farm. Like we did everything on farm. We picked them up at the hatchery at, at day old and they were on our farm until processing day, um, which was eight and a half to 10 weeks, depending. Um, at the height of it, I think we were doing uh, 150 birds a week. Oh, wow. You know, so that's, you know, you parse that out over the, the course of, of a season, which generally runs from May to about mid-October. Um, we're doing a hell of a lot of birds. Um, and then we started, we found a, a really good deal on a couple of goats. And I had always heard about how goats were really good for kind of eating like the, the stuff in the pasture that like normal grazing animals don't. And in, in this area with our soil, we get a lot of, uh, like we call them jiggers. There's, you know, there's real tall things that get like the spiky things that get stuck on your shoes. Oh, right. Yeah. On your pants, those things. Um, I forget what the hell they're even called, but they're nasty little buggers. Goats love them. You know, so we got a couple of goats and they started eating out of the pasture, eating that out of the pasture. Um, and then we sort of just it, really goat map kind of works that way. Like one goat is three goats. Three goats is a herd of goats. A herd of goats is like way too many goats. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and that's that's where we're at now we have a herd of goats it's way too many goats oh geez yeah i can imagine um are, are goats like my dogs are absolutely ridiculous right like when i go to put my doberman australian shepherd in his bed he will literally attack me and he'll bite me but it won't be a hard bite so you know he's playing the right. goats kind of have in you know like distinctive personalities amongst themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We have one. We have one that we've had for for a while now. She's one of our older dairy goats. Um, mm-hmm. We call her my girlfriend. Every time I have like a, a rum and coke over the summer, which happens frequently over the summer, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Um, I have we live in Pennsylvania. It's fine. Yeah, I have to give her some, or she gets really pissed off. And she does this cool thing where, like, if you go up, you put your hand like on top of her head. She push against it. And then when you pull your hand away, she'll like go up on her back feet and like headbutt your hand. And she, she would do that so much, like my shoulder would start hurting, you know, but she's playing because if you mm-hmm. turn your back on her, she just walks up to you and just starts rubbing your behind. You know, the, the goats definitely have personalities. We have a, a bunch of the, the new ones that were born to be meat, but I'm thinking I'd really like to sell them as breeders or something because they have so much personality and they're so friendly. Like I really would hate to eat them. I mean, I still would. But I, I would really hate it. Um, so we're trying to get them sold off to like 4-H kids or something or some folks that want to start a herd because they're super friendly. Um, like if you go out and you sit down, like you'll just be mobbed by these baby goats who just want to like sit on you and like rub on you. And they want you to pet them and rub between their, you know, their little horn butts. So they definitely have personalities. Huh. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, I said a little bit earlier, I'm very for the consumption of animals, but right. um, it's like, me personally, that's why I don't think I could own pigs. I don't think I could own goats because I look at something like that and I'm like, I I look at my dogs. I 
I could not, even like a doomsday scenario, I am legend kind of shit. I could not see doing that just because I have such a close relationship with them. So, you know, this is kind of where I tip my hat to vegans who do it for ethical reasons. Um, it's tough because it, I, I could see it in the way you talk about it. Yeah. Like a lot of it is, you know, like I, is you have to, you have to kind of be able to separate like, okay, I'm going to be very, very nice to these animals and we're going to, you know, we're going to raise them with integrity and we're going to raise them with love and they're not going to suffer or have a bad life. But at the end of the day, they're for food. Right. You know, and I just, honestly, I've always kind of taken the, the mindset of like, just because we're going to eat them doesn't mean that the rest of their life has to be terrible. Right. You know, except for those last few minutes, every goat that we have out here on the farm has a great life. Right. Well, see, and I think a lot of people misunderstand this. Um, the dog. Oh, no, no, you're good. You're good. Um, my dogs are downstairs killing each other. <laughs> but I think a lot of people misunderstand this about farms. And I do believe that there is some mishandling of animals in some of these farms. But I believe that's like oh, yeah, a super, super minority. Um, all the videos of ranchers I've seen, especially the grass fed, grass finished ones. I mean, these people love their animals. And even when they kill them, the way they do it is they use that gun and they put it right in their skull yeah, and they're, they're dead. Yeah, right, right. They're dead within, I think it's like a half a second. Yeah. So you got to think about the way they, that they would die in nature. I mean, the right. animals that would kill them would go for their organs first and eat them while they're still living. So right. it's not like this is a pretty way for them to go either way. Yeah, and you know, and you know, people eat chickens, and there's an economic, sort of an economic benefit to raising chickens. You never have to worry about chickens going extinct. Right. You know, where some of these other animals that are protected, you have to worry about like was it the spotted titmouse or something mm-hmm. that could potentially go extinct because there's no money in it and nobody's eating them. Right. You know, so I, and going back to your earlier point about the grass finish, the grass raised, you know, what I kind of refer to as like integrity mm-hmm. farming. Um, if you ever look up a guy named Joel Salatin with Polyface yep. Farms, I'm sure you've heard of him. You've read him. He is quite honestly, he is like my Yoda. Like I have all of his books. Every time he's on a podcast, I'm there in a heartbeat. Um, we're planning on this spring if we can swing it to take the kids down for the grass stains tour. Mm-hmm. They haven't done it for the last two years because of the the whole vid thing. But you know, where you just you come down and there's like a, a tour, but then there's like a three or four hour block where they're just like, if you don't get in anybody's way, go nuts. Look, ask wow. questions. You know, it's phenomenal. And it's like 175 bucks for the weekend. <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, so, if you ever get, so if you're your listeners, your viewers ever want to check out Joel Salatin's work, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I believe he was on Joe Rogan at one point, but I mean, that was a very, very long time ago. Yeah, but um, yeah, one of my previous guests, Sean Baker, I believe, had him on the uh, Human Performance Outliers podcast because he talks okay. a lot about the animal agriculture stuff. Um, Sean being kind of king carnivore diet, right? Um, dude's like six foot five, complete total beast, set all sorts of world records, eating zero carbohydrates, only oh, wow. animal products. I mean, it is ridiculous. World record on the uh, Concept 2 rowing machine, um, like 230 pounds, six foot five, 52 or 54 years old. I do, Dude's like ungodly all natural too but um he talks a lot about the regenerative agriculture and i've seen the videos where you could see the soil pretty much coming back to life where you know if you don't treat the soil right or have animals that you know raise in a regenerative fashion where they kind of do their bodily functions there and they're moved um you can actually regrow grass you can make the soil carbon net negative where it actually sequesters carbon back into the soil um 
lots of good stuff. And it's very interesting to me that in the political realm, it's not talked about more because this is such, there's a no, it's a no lose situation. Nobody yeah, loses. I mean, because, and the thing is like it with doing agriculture like this, like, yeah, I, I get it. It's a lot more labor intensive um, because I'm, I'm doing all this stuff by hand. I don't have a bunch of, you know, diesel powered machines or any of this, but in the long run, what I'm producing, I can charge a premium for because of that. It's, you know, it's, it's improving the land that we have. I mean, this used to be like really kind of crappy central Pennsylvania, super clay and rock soil, you know, and now there's, there's spots out there where if you drop a seed in the ground, you got to jump out of the way. So the sprout don't hit you in the eye, (laughs) you know, and, and that's, it doesn't get that way overnight. And mm-hmm. I, I think because I almost hate to say this, I think libertarians and most people in general, not just libertarians, but I think they, they kind of have the, it has to be quicker mentality. And in this kind of agriculture, like that's not a thing, like quicker doesn't exist out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's something to be said for the product too. Um, when it's that labor intensive and I, I use butcher box, and okay. I've I've become such a snob for grass fed meat <laughs> at this point. Um, like I I will not buy grain fed from the store generally. Like you know you can't go buy grass fed brisket from the store. But I mean even then I rarely do that. If I ever get grain fed stuff, it's only if I'm out to eat. But um, right. I think once people would kind of acquire the taste for it, I think a lot more people would want it. Um, I don't know if you heard the stat, and I was talking with somebody about this recently, but um, they said if you were to get the percentage of grass-fed farms up from, I think it was, right now it's like two to 3% of farms all throughout the US. If you got that up to 40%, then you could reduce or reverse all man-made climate change. For yeah, what absolutely. That's worth. I mean, nothing sequesters carbon quite like organic matter in the soil. Right. And with these grass-fed animals, you know, grass-fed cow, um, I mean, we do feed some grain to the goats just because their, you know, their diet, their specific dietary needs, it requires it. Mm-hmm. Um, for some certain minerals and stuff that they can't get from the, the sure. grasses year round. Um, <clears throat> but nothing sequesters carbon quite like that. And these grasses are perennials. They're not annuals, they're perennials. So, you know, they, they eat it, they take it down to, to the level. And then because, you know, plant matter or plants do what plants do and there's, you know, equidistant or uh, yeah, equidistant. I, I forget what the exact term is, but it's, it's basically where there's the same amount of plant above and below the soil horizon. Okay, yeah. So when there's that much more root, because the plant had been growing for months before it got eaten down, um, the plant's going to have like a super growth spurt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to grow super fast. While it's doing that, it's sequestering carbon in the ground. It's bringing up nutrients from the ground. Mm-hmm. And if you keep the animals on the same land and you just cycle them through so that they're not putting three feet of manure down at a time, they're just they're putting the manure down and then they're moving to a clean spot. They're putting the manure down, they're moving to a clean spot with the pasture rotation which is a big, big principle that Joel Salatin teaches. Yes. Um, then their, their excrement, their manure, it goes back into the soil, it regenerates the, the microphylla in the soil. It, you know, it grows the earthworms. It grows much more grass. So the system just keeps improving on itself. The down part of that, or the downside to that, is that it's very labor intensive for the person doing it. Mm-hmm. And it takes time. Right. And it's so funny to me, that once again, nobody really talks about this. And yeah, it may be more labor intensive, but you know, if we really want to do something about climate change and it is this disaster that we're being told, then 
why can we not do this? And the funniest thing to me for so long is that cows and, you know, animals like that, um, uh, not monogastric, but um, animals that have rumens, right? Ruminant stuff. Yeah, yeah, ruminant, ruminant animals. That's yeah. what I was looking for. Um, these animals have been around for probably millions of years. Oh, yeah. Why is it now that all of a sudden they're a problem for the environment? Like, is no one thinking like, wait, like nothing's changed about these animals, but for some reason they're destroying the environment. Wouldn't that happen way sooner? Yeah. It's not the animals that have changed. It's our management of them. That's changed. You know, I look at like CAFOs, consolidated agricultural feeding operations. I look at these things and these things are in fact the devil, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're like the, the people that are for them are always like, well, look at how many people, how much food we can raise on this very small acreage. They don't take into account, you know, the miles and miles and miles of freight trains that are bringing feed that's not native to where they are. They're not looking at the miles and miles and miles and tons and tons and tons of manure that's being generated in that small area that has to then be shipped out. They're not looking at the animal health, you know, of these animals up to their, you know, up to their bellies and manure and urine, you know, and, and how unhealthy that is. That's why there's, you know, there's all these super bugs now where, you can't even take an antibiotic for something because anything that you would take it for is already resistant to it because they're feeding the animals subtherapeutic antibiotics to keep them healthy because of the system that they're forcing them to live in. Right. And then they also animals out in, in nature in you know, in, in some grass with sunlight, you wouldn't have any of these problems and the meat would be better empirically. It would taste better. It would be higher in nutrient density um, it'd be better for the, you know, for the animal itself. It's better for the environment. I mean, it's a win, 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 win all around, but because a certain select few number of multinational conglomerates can't make money off of that, we're not doing it. Right. And that also goes back to, I think it was a bill that Thomas Massey had put forward. Um, let's say you had your own ranch. I couldn't go to you and say, Hey man, give me a New York strip. Right. Because you'd have to go through Cargill or one of the big four yeah. uh, meat manufacturers, you'd have to go through them to get it packaged, and then you'd be able to put it to the store, and then I'd be able to buy it. Right. Like, why can I not just go up to you and say, "Hey, man, give me give me some ribeye, give me some brisket, give me a tri tip, give me whatever." Yeah, I, I'm all for that. You know, right. you know, that's why, like I said earlier, we're putting a butcher shop here on the farm, um, and the reason why we're doing it is because people would buy like a whole goat for us because a whole goat's obviously a lot smaller than a whole cow. So you buy a whole goat, you can get that into a, a small freezer, even if you have like a small, a small freezer, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that the Pennsylvania Department of, of Health, Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture and the USDA operate, for me to be able to sell that animal, it has to go through a licensed, inspected butcher shop. Or, or no, I'm sorry, I, I, I tell, tell a lie there. It's if I want to sell parts of that animal, like say you wanted some chops or some ground, but not the whole animal, right. that would have to then go through an, the inspected processor to get packaged under the watchful eye of the USDA inspector. Um, and then I could sell it to you after it's been packaged and stamped and all that. We're putting the butcher shop in here because most of our customers buy a whole goat and they don't really want to have to deal with that expense of me taking it to the butcher shop, the weight of getting on the schedule getting it done, going to pick it up, then coming here to get it. They want to be able to call me up and say, hey, Tim, I want a whole goat in two weeks. And I can say, cool, pick it up next Saturday. And here's how much Mm -hmm. it's going to cost you. Um, Because if they're buying the whole goat because of the way the Pennsylvania's call what they are bullshit laws, 
are written because I'm selling them the whole goat and it's not going to enter the commercial system at all. Not going to enter the retail chain at all. Mm -hmm. I can do that here on the farm. <laughs> so that little bit of extra expense that would go into paying somebody else to do it. Now, granted, that's going to cost some jobs possibly to somebody else. I don't take that many goats to them. They'll probably not even miss me. Um, but that extra money can stay here on the farm can help us increase stuff. I can pass that savings then on to my customers, which will then reduce the cost of my goat, which will hopefully allow me to be able to sell more. Right. So it's win-win for everybody. And yeah, it's so ridiculous that you just can't do something like that, but it's kind of funny because you could go sell vegetables, right? And you don't know if they've completely hose that fucker down with glyphosate and, and here's the thing. i could give you anything yeah i could give you a bunch of chops and a bunch of ground i could give it to you that's no problem if you give me a nickel for those chops and that ground now we're both criminals <laughs> yeah yeah now i don't understand how that works why suddenly money makes it a crime yeah it, that's that is a funny way to put it and that's kind of the way i think um libertarians we can kind of start tailing into this because i want to talk to you about this as well um we need to address some of these issues that like look if you want to give me a, you know a piece of a goat like a goat flank or something like that you can give it to me that's fine whatever and to kind of tail into what you were saying there a little bit earlier if there's something wrong with that meat you'll know like you will yeah. see it it's not going to be hidden you will see it same deal with like, but well, not the same deal, but with like vegetables and stuff on skin, they could spray that with glyphosate, Roundup, and you'll never oh, know. Oh, yeah. You may kind taste of like non-nutritive wax or anything. Yeah. You won't know until you bite into it. And then what do you do? Right. Um, but this is the way that I think we need to signal some of this stuff to people. Like, look, all I want to do is give you a steak. But if you give me a nickel for it, then now we just became criminals. Yeah. Why does, who cares? You know, if I give you a steak and it's a bad steak, you get sick. You can sue me, which is retarded. Just don't buy another steak for me if I made yeah, you sick. Tell all your friends not to buy steaks from me if they're hard. Right. Yeah, but and, more yeah, than that's and that's kind of how we address, you know, when we were doing the chickens here, because there was a small farm exemption. If we were under, I think, 10,000 head of chicken a year, we didn't need to be inspected or anything, but the inspector could pay us a random visit. They never did, but they could. As if my goal was to sell somebody bad meat. Mm -hmm. right. you know, like as if my goal was to like, give me money. I'm going to give you some shit. That's going to make you sick. So you <laughs> never come back and you tell all your friends how horrible I am. Like, I just, I don't understand why everybody's kind of they, like they have, God, it's, it's just, it's so frustrating. Like I get a loss for words. Like I know people who are like, I would never buy an uninspected piece of meat. And I'm like, why do you, do you understand that all the inspector really does is look at the fat content in the meat. They don't take like bacterial swabs. Mm -hmm. I mean, every case of salmonella from like the food system that I've ever heard of has been from the industrial food system. Right. And it's not because people are trying to make people sick. It's because they're trying to force so much stuff into the food chain that their, their, um, their practices are slipping. Yeah. You know, it's I, I read something a few years ago where they were finding like parts of salamanders and frogs in bags of salad, like the fresh spring mix yeah. salad shit. Um, and it wasn't because, you know, they, they were unclean or anything. It's because the demand for it was so high that they were running the machine so fast they couldn't inspect it all. And they were just packaging it through, packaging it through. And I'm like, oh, that's Dole or whoever the big packaging company is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to dovetail off that, like nobody really eats locally anymore. So the reason why they were speeding up so much was because it was the middle of winter and 
the east and people still wanted their spring mix like well spring mix grows in spring why the hell do you need it in the winter you should be eating seasonally and locally but that's a whole nother diatribe i could get off on yeah i just like people really assume that you're going to be out there hey i'm going to give you bad food like do you think that business owners don't think about things throughout the scope of time? Like if I sit here and constantly make you sick, like after the first time, most people are like, fuck this, I'm done. If yeah, I don't, if, and as a mechanic, right. I've been a mechanic for 10 years. My family's been in the automotive business for over 50, 60, 70 years. Right. If we don't fix somebody's car, they can't wait to tell everybody that oh, you know yeah. that we fucked it oh, up. Oh yeah, bad news is bad news travels around the world before right. good news has its shoes on, man. Right, <laughs> and, and that's absolutely true. So why would anybody go out of their way to fuck someone over? It, it, I mean, that's just not the way that the market works. And if no. you do that, you go out of business so freaking fast. Like that. Um, it was funny. There was a, a metal band called I think it was Threaten. And the guy managed to kind of rig it up on the internet to make it look like he had all these likes. And then he like booked out a tour all throughout Europe. And when he went to go play a show, only like two people showed up and dude, that blew up. Everybody knew who that dude was. And, you know, to his credit, like, look, you got famous, but look, yeah, well, what <laughs> nobody cool. came to your show and now everybody knows you're a fraud. So good luck doing anything again. Once again, the market, supplies quite a bit at the time yeah the market provides yeah um so the other thing i've kind of come to admire about you initially when i was getting into the lppa um i I try to remain as neutral as possible and i think i do a good job at that but you have went above and beyond in my opinion to remain neutral and to remain positive which is a huge thing because there is a lot of mudslinging yeah yeah unfortunately and sometimes it gets me a little down but i think that we all have a common goal and sometimes we kind of get a little stuck in the weeds with maybe somebody made the wrong joke maybe somebody didn't articulate their idea right and maybe people were fed bad information about other people. So you're wearing a Joe Jorgensen shirt, right? Yeah. There's some libertarians out there that would freak out about that. Look, I donated to Joe Jorgensen's campaign. I share the same complaints that a lot of people have of her that she was milquetoast and she wasn't the most passionate messenger, but she was a good libertarian. I like what she had to say. You know, she liked hockey. She liked whiskey. You know, there's it's two right there. Right. Two huge checks for me. Yeah. Um, she essentially put Spike Cohen on the national map. So mm-hmm. kudos to that. I mean, who doesn't love Spike? Right. And I mean, I'm sure there's probably somebody, but I don't care what Democrats and Republicans think. Well, there's like hoppy and libertarians, which I, I have an admiration for these people as well, but they kind of knock Spike. And I get the criticisms of him trying to appeal to Black Lives Matter. And it does seem like recently that's kind of blown up. I don't want to say blown up in his face because that sounds like it went horribly wrong, but it seems like maybe that wasn't the best strategic move. But regardless, let's think about the net positive from this campaign. Did Joe Jorgensen win no was she the best representation of libertarianism no not really but she was a solid libertarian through and through and i don't think any person who's a libertarian or calls himself a libertarian will really find anywhere they disagree with her um but we got spike cohen and where do you see spike you, you see spike everyone twitter facebook he's always ratioing everybody and yeah. i love shit like that oh yeah when he's when he's trolling like the the FBI and the ATF on Facebook. Like that's the only reason I really still have a Facebook account. 
that the that, yeah. form. <laughs> right, right, right. But absolutely, Spike is, you know, one of the greatest things to come out of that campaign. And it, it frustrates me when people always look at that, the actively anti-racist tweet. And yeah, that was bad. And yeah, it was at a bad time. And once again, you kind of ran headfirst into white hot culture war that a lot of people don't like that specific part, but they missed that second tweet where she said, look, not the organization. I don't support Marxism. People look at that, you know, they just look at that first tweet and I get it, but this is kind of my problem where people go to these binary extremes, right? right. You have to be all one way <laughs> or all the other. Um, we're in that LPPA garbage chat i, I yeah yeah the old butterfly or dome it is now but you know it, it's like the discourse degenerates so quick and no one's able to step back and say well you know i get your point and i get what your side's saying but here let's have an honest dialogue about where we disagree or let's try and work together and there's people in both camps that just refuse to do that and it's a small number i think i think we can we can agree it's a small number mm-hmm. most of us that don't they don't really have a dog in that particular fight like we know who they are mm. we see it coming we know what they're gonna say we know when they're gonna say it and if it's you know like for me like i, I don't want to drop anybody's name specifically but we all know who essentially we're talking about yeah the the few on on both sides um i, I just ignore them mm-hmm. you know I, I read a book once that that explained it perfectly it said if you were a ship builder and you were building a ship would you focus on the things that made it float or the things that make it sink. Hmm. Now, if you're a shipbuilder, you want to focus on the things that are, are going to make it float while you're building it. Right. So that's what I choose to do. I'm focusing on the things that float. You know, the, the 80 to 90% where we all agree as libertarians. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other stuff, like that's that's fluff. Like we'll, we'll deal with that shit once, once we've got every 80% of everything that we want. We'll deal with that other, you know, 5 to 20% where we might butt heads on something. Right. So the other thing to that is that people get so caught up on like the messaging versus elections. And it's like, I feel like you're just needlessly thrown rooster tails up for no reason. Like, why can we not do both? Why can't I say, you know, hey, let's let's play a hypothetical scenario. Hey, Tim, you're really good at doing the election stuff and all the dirty work. You handle that. Hey, I'm good at messaging. I'll do the messaging stuff. Why can we not? Yeah, well, I, I, I was trying to explain that in the in the garbage dump or whatever it was chat. You know, it's like a, it's like a football team, right? Like some people are really good at throwing the ball. Great, you can be a quarterback. You know, yeah. some people are good at just putting their head down and running through fools. Like, okay, you can be a fullback. Mm-hmm. You know, like we all have our specific part to play as long as we're all fighting or playing for the same team, right? And, and you know, it's like I don't yeah. listen. I don't have to get along with everybody. In the LP, I don't get along with everybody in the LPPA. Quite frankly, there's some people I don't want to get along with on a personal level. Now, I'll work with anybody. If it's for liberty, if it's to advance, you know, the cause of small L libertarianism, if it's to fight the duopoly, like you can come up to my house and like kick me in the sack. If you still want to fight the duopoly, like once I heal, we're still good. I'll still go with you. Don't invite me out for drinks. We're not going to, you know, swap spit in the shower or anything. But if you want to fight the state, like I got your back. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's, I, I attribute that to my, my years as a, a pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you probably know I was a pro wrestler before all the political and farming shit too. Um, so when you're a wrestler, you have your gimmick, what you portray out in the ring and in front of people. 
that's generally not who you are. You know, like I was a total scumbag asshole as a, a bad guy when I wrestled. But when I would meet, you know, like at the autograph signings or whatever, I'd always tell the kids like, hey, stay in school, listen to your mom and dad, you know, so that they could see like, hey, there's the guy that's that's there that's doing that shit in the ring and hitting people with chairs and and all this. And then there's the actual guy who says like, you know, hey, be a good kid, listen to your mom and dad, don't be a fool, you know, yeah. so you have to be able to kind of separate that. And I, I tend to be pretty good at that, probably from the wrestling. Yeah. Um, also, could be the seven concussions. I, I don't know. <laughs> a little, <laughs> you know, little bit of both. But yeah, you a, little know, a, a little column B. I, I, I get annoyed because it seems like some people just can't wait to type out a huge paragraph and, mm, you know, I own this person. But you know what? The, the way I've always interacted online is I if I'm not going to get heated and shitty with you unless you really pushed me over the edge and even then i'm still pretty forgiving but generally the way i try to approach it is hey if i would not say this to you face to face then i'm not going to say that that's, online that's exactly what i do you and, know and, i you know i don't get the whole you know keyboard warrior thing like that i'm like and it, it could be because i've been in it for so long as well um but the internet's forever like you say something on like facebook or online or something it's even if it's just like uh hacky crappy you know i was a little drunk and i said you know the wrong thing to the wrong person that shit stays forever you know you may have to answer to that on a job interview in 15 years you know so i always kind of tend to, to err on the side of like if i'm not if we're sitting at a bar together and i don't say it to your face i ain't gonna type it right you know and it could be the the gen x or in me that doesn't i don't really consider like facebook and that shit real life so i don't know it's just, i just i don't I don't care that much about social media and getting into like flame wars and shit with people. Like if you want to, if, if you want to work towards Liberty and you want to actually put in the work, like we'll find something that we agree on and we'll work together on it. Yeah. And I feel like Twitter is like the greatest device to just bring out the absolute worst and everybody in the uh, Thunderdome chat, I feel like kind of does the same thing. And sometimes there's civil discourse in there. Like, so we should dust on the uh, convention. The whole convention deal, um, I get the frustration from both sides. And I feel like there was a lack of explanation, the lack of preparation, probably on everybody's part there. Yeah. But um, th this whole bylaw thing, I, I, it seems like everybody kind of agrees that it's ridiculous. But at the same time, I feel like there are some people saying, unnecessarily ramping up attentions and saying hey you were denied your right to vote but it's like look i don't agree with their decision to do that but karen ann harlow's put it the best way um if you give a homeless man 15 dollars every single day for throughout the course of years and years and years is he still entitled to that if one day you decide not to no i mean did you build up an expectation and would you be shocked if he was like surprised that you didn't give $15? Yeah. But once again, he's not entitled to your money. Right. Seems kind of the same way here. Yeah, and I, think I get why this, people are upset. Yeah. I get, I mean, I understand why people are upset and I understand why in previous years they did waive the seasoning requirement. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of a, a, an anomaly in the fact that I would never have waived it ever mm -hmm. because if it, if it wasn't important, if it didn't serve a purpose, it shouldn't be a bylaw. Period. Okay. Um, the fact that it's there means that it it matters and it should be enforced. Mm -hmm. I understand having a mechanism when there was you know fifteen people showing up at a statewide convention. Mm -hmm. 
we knew going forward, or you know, pre 2021, that convention, that it was going to be huge. Yeah. You know, just looking at the trajectory from 2018, 2019, 2020, we knew it was going to be huge. You know, and then there was the whole, what is it, the caucus wars, I guess. I don't know what to call it. Yeah. Um, you know, so then, then there was that whole thing that that blew up. And, and so everybody knew, like, oh, shit, there's going to be a bunch more people here. Um, it's just, it, there, there should have been better communication on all sides. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the biggest casualty of this whole COVID era is people have forgotten how to freaking communicate with each other like human beings. Right. Yeah. You and know, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. It really is. Like, and, and some people in that Thunderdome chat, like I know, like I have been out to drink with them recently and they don't talk like that in person. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about the weather and sports ball or wrestling or music or, you know, current events. We never talk about the LPPA. But then you somehow you get like a little, you know, three by four phone in your pocket or in your hand and you know everything about everything. And I'm just like, come on, man. Let's just go get a beer and, and be people again. Exactly. And I think a lot of people would benefit from doing something like that. Um, the One of the groomsmen of my wedding coming up this year, um, me and him disagree politically on almost everything, but guess what? We'll go out for drinks and we will talk for hours about this stuff. Um, a best friend of mine considers himself, what is it, not a market socialist or a libertarian socialist, something like that. We'll go out and we'll talk for freaking hours about ideas, about where we disagree, why we disagree. And, and we don't end up calling each other assholes by the end of it. Hey, man, you know, this is a good breakfast. Let's go do it again sometime. Yeah. Oh, and it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it seems like nobody can, can disagree without being disagreeable right. anymore. It's like, I, I would much rather have a conversation with somebody that I disagree with something on, disagree with them on something mm-hmm. and figure out why, why do we disagree? Am I wrong? Are they wrong? Are right. we both wrong? Is there some, you know, are, are we both a little bit right? How can we come together and maybe make this situation better for all of us? Yeah. You know, I, I would much rather do that than somebody that is just an echo chamber. Like, hey, do you believe that? Yeah, so do I. Yay, us. You know, <laughs> that's to that. That's boring. Right. You know, so and, my, and... my hat's off to Adam G for mm-hmm. creating that that Thunderdome. I mean, it does turn into a shit show sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's it's also good because it's cathartic. You know, you, you don't have that built up inside you can just let it out and everybody there knows like we're all going to be assholes there it's fine we don't care at least some of us don't care i don't know there are people that i guess do take it a little too serious but i'm not one of them well there was a situation that unfolded down in florida and um i I believe it was on your status i was talking to somebody about it and I, i i don't approve of what the people were saying because there was some vile shit that was said and i'm like man why is it necessary you say this but it's like the other hand is that's twitter people are fucking assholes on twitter i will not act that way on twitter but some people feel like it's their obligation to do that i don't agree with it and you know there's not yeah, be some many people, people tweet like it's their job and i don't yeah. I, I don't understand that. Well, yeah, I, I cannot. I don't understand how people, first of all, stay in those chats all day or people that tweet all day. Because, look, I'm a mechanic. I'm paid to be productive. So I got to work my ass off all day, every day to make sure oh, I'm, I'm, in IT, I'm in IT, man. If I'm not out in the bar and I'm sitting behind like three different computer monitors and if everything's going right, I don't have a whole lot to do. So, yeah. you know, I'll be I'll be in that Thunderdome chat all day. <laughs> But, you know, it's like I'm posting like super positive shit. 
you know, I'm just like, here's your daily dose of positivity. <laughs> you know, yeah, someone well, needs to be that asshole. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure it, it's it's an easy way to start up an argument. Hey, you know, we both hate the government. We both hate that we can't just go buy a steak or a beer, you know, wherever and whatever we want. And someone will say, you know, you're a statist or something like that for uh, just saying something, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, I mean, the best thing about that chat, obviously, is, is roasting Adam Nutter, though. <laughs> Because the guy thinks he's a comedian, like it's hilarious. Like that's so, the funniest thing about him is he thinks he's a comedian. So someone had sorry, Adam. You know I love you, buddy. <laughs> someone shared a picture of Pete Davidson on Twitter, and they said he looks like Adam Nutter. And I'm like, man, you know what? That is very, very rude because Pete Davidson is actually funny. <laughs> it's also funny looking. Like I don't. Hey, well, well, you is know, he black I... is he white? I mean. I don't care. I'm just curious. Like, yeah. Just, I, and his teeth are all jacked up too. Like, he's so. kind of an anomaly. And all the pictures I see of him, he, he kind of looks like a fucking bum. Like, I, I don't yeah, know what like it he is, looks. Man. He looks like he would smell like urine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He looks like that crazy cat lady, you know. Yeah. The, like he just looks dirty to me. I don't know. Yeah, Are you the, banging a Kardashian now or something? Yeah. I guess they're, I they're, they're I, I think I was on Facebook or something. And I saw something about that. I was like, Wow, really? That guy? Yeah, I don't know how you go from, <laughs> I don't know how you go from Kanye to Pete Davidson, but uh, that's it's weird. Um, so kind of tell back to the LPPA, other than Adam Nutter and the Kardashians. That's a hard, that's a yeah. hard segue. Right. Um, I feel like there's a very, very bright future ahead. Um, a lot of people you know, kind of say the that vote in third party is a wasted vote, right? Um, I really think Pennsylvania is changing that. And it's really strange to say that, but it's like, you know, I get it. People throw stones at the malt maneuver saying, oh, you're just winning on contested races or, um, you know, you're not winning any major seats, but we don't know what that exponentially looks like at a certain point. Right. And um, it's like, it's just kind of like what I was saying about like growing the grass out here like that that maneuver is a baby step because that puts a lot a lot of libertarians on a lot of ballots so that normalizes seeing a libertarian you know when i ran for state senate last year like i wanted i wanted to win you know i thought yeah why not me i'm i i could be just as good a senator as any of these other assholes um but what it did was it exposed a lot of people to the libertarian party that had never met a libertarian before mm -hmm. you know it put a libertarian on every ballot because it was a, a primary also hey doggo yeah that's my buddy <sighs> you know so it, it, it normalized libertarianism it normalized people seeing a new option on the ballot so with all these molten maneuver candidates like yeah okay so it's not a, a contested position it's not a position that a lot of people would seek out it doesn't pay you know it's a couple of hours of work a year, for instance. Um, but what it does is to the general populace, to the normies, as they say, it, it shows them that there is another option. So I think that is that is the true value of the molten maneuver. It's, it, it, I mean, there's bragging rights to it too, where we can say Pennsylvania, we elected more libertarians than the rest of the nation combined. Like that's cool, you know, and, and it's nice to pat yourself on the back for that as, as an LPPA. Um, but at the end of the day, I think normalizing libertarians on ballots is where the true value in that lies. 
you know, and that's something that, that I really, I kind of want to focus on. Like, I'm not going to be on a ballot this year, but I'm going to be helping a lot of other people get on ballots that are on ballots, you know, that are running contested races to get out there and, and speak for them. You know, I made a lot of media contacts through my Senate race and I am using the shit out of them. You know, whenever this affiliate does anything, whenever we do anything in conjunction with Lancaster or Lebanon or with Capital Region, anything that we do combined, anything that the state is doing, we're reaching out to those media contacts and we're getting some decent responses from it. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's normalizing the Libertarian Party. It's normalizing the LPPA. And I think there's immense value and an undervalue in that because people don't see it that way. They'll say like, ah, you're being elected to auditor or constable. Nobody wanted to do that shit anyway. It's like, I, I understand that. It's a valid argument. But there's a bigger picture. You know, there's a wider play going on. Yeah, and that's kind of the way that I see it. And like I said, I, there's arguments both ways. But once again, we don't know necessarily what the future holds. So if this maneuver works out and you get a bunch of people in these, you know, small seats, then now, once again, you have a bunch of people that recognize the libertarians who are leaders in their community. And then if you want to put a libertarian to Senate, to state representative or whatever, then, you know, these people could start saying they can put names to faces. Hey, I know Tim. He ran for Senate or he's my local auditor. He's this. He's that. I know this guy. He's a good guy. He's relatable. And you know what? We may not agree on everything politically, but he's a good guy. And I think his solutions are worth looking at. So you know what? They're, this Republican's bad. This Democrat's really bad. Let's throw the vote to the L. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you take the, the, the evil that you know or the evil that you don't know? I mean, and that, you know, that's what I ran up against with, with my race was because it was such a freaking red district, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and I saw the, uh, the uh, potential new redistricting maps this entire so i don't know if you're familiar with the shape of the 48th district here but it's all of lebanon county and then like a lower southern sliver of dolphin county and then like a sliver of eastern york county i'm in that sliver of eastern york and i guess it pissed off the republicans so much that they had to actually come over here and try to work for votes that they've actually now shifted the entire district to the east oh wow and that my part of the, the York County and the Dolphin County part of the 48th district are no longer in the 48th district. Wow. You know, and I'm like, I, I don't know if I should take credit for that or if I should feel horrible about that. Well, so I have a friend who's been on this podcast twice, Shane. Um, he was hosting an event down in Verona, which is about 45 minutes away from me in Allegheny County. Um, and um, there were mostly Republican people there and there were a couple guys running for governor and I, I can't remember what else they're running for, but um, I, I brought this a lot, up a lot on here as well. Some of these Republicans, it's like, they're no different than, you know, social justice warriors in some cases, because we were reading this card and it literally said, we will persecute people who her, or who attack police as a hate crime. So if you attack a cop, it's a hate crime. It's like, okay. And then they said, we will call, or if we will treat cancel culture as harassment. And I'm like, you're using like liberal means, you know, left wing terms and means to get to Republican ends. Same bird. Right. Don't play that game. Like if you want to be a Republican, be an outspoken, good principled Republican, you know, Thomas Massey, Rand Paul, 
these guys are good Republicans. Be like them. Be unafraid and speak about the values that you find in the Republican Party. Don't just try to be, you know, the opposite of whatever the left is. And for libertarians, let's speak libertarian stuff. Let's talk about individuality. Let's talk about free markets. Let's talk about the rugged individualism. Let's talk about things that, you know, that motivate me and, you know, make me want to get out there and talk to people about these values. Um, But, you know, if you just want to try and be the same thing as the other guys, except for, you know, mad libit to sound like Donald Trump saying it, then why should I care about you? Why should I support you? Yeah, I mean, at that point, they're, there's no difference between Democrats and Republicans. Right. You know, it's like, oh, well, one says the sky is blue or one says the sky is red. The other one says the sky is green. Guess what? They're both wrong. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if this, oh, well, you're saying that it's it's a different color and I like that color better. So I'm on your team. Like, it's, it's all bullshit. Like, you know, I, I, I think the vast majority of people are more libertarian than they let on. They're scared by the word libertarian. Mm-hmm. And that falls back to, the molten maneuver we we're discussing you know where if you start normalizing libertarian capital l more people will realize that they are in fact libertarian small l yeah I, and it kind of frustrates me when there are some people who i don't necessarily consider perfectly libertarian like you got someone like larry elder right who advocates for war and it's essentially a neocon, right? You know, for all the foreign intervention and for all the trade wars, and then he'll call himself a libertarian. And it's funny because they want to appeal to us, you know, by calling themselves a libertarian, but it's like, you don't represent these values, right? So I, I, I don't, I don't care. You just said you're okay with slaughtering millions of children over the Middle East for arms sales, right? I, I I can't get down with that, man. You're not a libertarian. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's frustrating. I mean, they're they're co-opting our language because we're not doing a good enough job getting it out there. Right. And I, I completely agree with that. And um, to bring it back to some of those Hoppian libertarians where they really focus on the right wing thing. And I, I have like mixed feelings about this. And there's still a lot I don't know about that particular sect of libertarians. Um, it's almost like from what I read of them is that they kind of want to they almost want to, they're okay with letting go of the word libertarian, right? Um, to kind of paint another scenario, Brett Weinstein had um, mentioned, oh, I see these libertarians, they're advocating for vaccine mandates and all this ridiculous stuff that most libertarians don't advocate for. Most of the people of the liberty movement do not advocate for. And it, it's annoying when you see these people kind of take a straw man of what a libertarian is and say, right. look, that's all of libertarianism. We don't want that. It's almost like a grift because you're trying to put that down as a viable option just so that way you can prop up something else in its place, right? You could say, oh, well, look, you know, they're not fighting this, so the Republicans have to be better, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's sort of no. like the Overton window, you know, like you say that your opponent is so ridiculously crazy, outlandish, three heads is from Mars, so that when you say like, oh, the pyramids were built by aliens, you sound sane by comparison. Yeah. You know, so I think it's it, it would behoove libertarians to really kind of focus on our message of just being libertarian mm-hmm. instead of trying to say we're going to appeal to this group or we're going to appeal to that group. It's like, no, we just need to be us. And what happens, happens. If some Republicans like it and they want to join in, awesome. Very helpful. If some Democrats like it and they want to join in, awesome. Help it. You know, great. Happy to have you. Um, 
where we need to focus though is like the vast i guess unwashed middle you know those independents those non-voters who are just like the whole thing sucks and i'm not partaking about take uh, partaking in it fuck them all those are the people where we need to reach out and say hey you know what you have a place here you know here's here's what we believe you know smaller limited government taxation when it's extremely necessary is still evil mm-hmm. you know no foreign wars don't kill people hurt people or break their stuff yeah you know I, that's that's simple that's shit you learned in kindergarten mm-hmm. yeah you know? i think it's very sellable to people and i, I really do think that you need to kind of get to that once again that unwashed middle and political tensions are so high right now and it's frustrating because people feel like they can't go for that third party option but i really think that's changing and i really think they say that every cycle though right and and i think people are more open to that especially at this point because people know who their governor is now right people know who their local representatives are because after 2020 when we were all locked in our homes now you realize okay so it actually matters who's governing our state and who's going to take care of us. So, you know, when you get down to these local levels and this is, you know, to kind of praise the ultimate over here, if you have someone like a libertarian on city council, which um, Ben Seavers, who's literally like a town over from me, right. he's on a city council, that can have a major sway in to whether or not you're allowed to leave the freaking house. Yeah, well, look at look at Kate, Kate Crosby. Mm-hmm. She's a mayor. Like right. she could actually do some legitimately badass things. Exactly. You know, she could actually start pushing through some changes and have people look at, at her little town, essentially in the middle of nowhere and say, son of a bitch, that works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's, if it works there, then it's, it works and it's scalable. Mm-hmm. You can take it to a County. You can take it to a region. You can take it to a state. You know, so I think having somebody like Kate or or Sally and Combs, like these are actual mayors, like that's a legitimate real life position. You know, that's like, pardon the pun, that's a fucking adult position there. You (laughs) know, they can actually make a difference in someone's life. Yeah, they have a chance to do something phenomenal. And I, you know, I can't wait to see what they do. Right. And this is kind of why one of my favorite libertarians and one of the people who really brought me to libertarianism was uh, Larry Sharp, because he is just great on everything and he's incredibly pragmatic and just like you were saying earlier we want everybody we want to bring he's in an as many speaker too like that helps. Oh, absolutely very charismatic guy and he's he's so well informed actually when i had him on my show um i think it was like a day of when i was going to talk to him um I found out how much he knew about foreign policy. Like, I'm like, oh, well, you know, he's probably just, you know, typical anti-war libertarian. And then I heard him talking to somebody about foreign policy. I'm like, holy shit, he is really freaking smart. I yeah, have no this, idea. This thing to Larry Sharp always makes me feel dumber. Yeah, absolutely. I get smarter every time I do it, but I always uh-huh. feel dumber. Right, but I think you're, you just much like me, um, are always better off after listening to him because oh, he's, yeah, absolutely. he's such a great speaker. And like I said, he's very pragmatic and his um, protocol for COVID that he laid out like freaking March of 2020 was perfect. I mean, it was genius. And I can't believe that nobody picked that up. But um, if I remember correctly, in what was it, 2018, he ran for governor in New York yep. and he did very, very well. I can't oh, yeah, remember percentages well. off the top of my head. Um, that's very encouraging. And especially after how horrible New York has become these last two years, 
it's almost I, I don't want to say he's going to win, but I mean he's I, not a very strong possibility. Right. Because people are so dissatisfied with how you know news not newsome uh whatever the hell his name is uh your king Cuomo Cuomo that's it um how they handled New York um they're really open to someone like that because Larry's like dude I just want to stop the bleeding I want to get people to stop leaving let's make this a little bit better and he's willing to kind of meet people where they're at and he's willing to fix the problems in front of him right now he's not living in Ancapistan in his head he's not going to sit here and argue open or close borders all day he's not you know, on Twitter, tweeting at people angrily. Yeah, you have to you have to focus on the problems that are in front of you. You know, I had people that were were asking me when I was running for a Senate, the Senate thing last year, like, were asking me like where I stood on this and that. And I'm like, I don't care. Not that I don't care, but it has nothing to do with the 48th district of Pennsylvania. So I'm not focusing on it. Like I, you know, yes, I want to see uh Trump's pardon Snowden, but that doesn't have any impact on what's going on in the 48th district. Ask me about something in the 48th district, you know, and that's where I think Larry really shines is like he can hyper focus like a freaking laser on what's directly in front of New York and have the and make sense about it and say it in a way that people will understand it. Like you don't need to be like a policy wonk to understand what he's saying. Like he says it in real live terms without speaking down to you. Right. And I remember when reparations were kind of being floated out. And this is going to be a hot button topic, but um, he, uh, I can't remember his exact plan, but he kind of laid out a plan of how it would work. And everybody was like jumping on him about it. He's like, look, I don't like it either, but here's how we can do it. Like that dude is willing to take a stance on just about anything and lay out a solution for it. And I really think after these last couple of years, libertarians need to start kind of looking to him and the way that he does things and the way that he plans to do things to kind of say, well, maybe we should kind of gravitate more towards his style of like, look, people, the average person does not care about libertarian party infighting, as he always says. They don't care about beefs on Twitter. They don't care about these debates. Do I like these debates? Yes. Do I care about all this stuff? Yes. But the average person, they feel inflation. They feel mandates. They feel, you know, their business being shut down. They feel being told they're not essential. Larry's meeting them there. Let's yeah. meet them there and let's take care of them with the issues that they care about. Yeah. And that's that's the message that messaging that I, I love is when you have like actionable, practicable solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just say like, this is a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem. It's like, great. Thanks, Captain Obvious. We all know. Taxation sucks. How are we going to pay for these things, reduce spending, and lower taxes? Show me a solution, and let's work towards that. Absolutely. And that's one thing Larry does phenomenally well. I kind of wish – well, I don't wish I lived in New York, but I do wish I could vote for him. (laughs) Maybe I'll write him in. Well, well, you know, we could say we wish Larry lived here, but I don't foresee him leaving New York. Uh, He's he's a lifer there, and, um, you know, absolutely God bless him. And – I think he definitely has a good shot this time around. Um, he, if he did exceedingly well the first time around and the second time, especially after 2020 and 2021, oh, yeah. um, I definitely think people are open to it. Um, I do think the Libertarian Party is getting more and more notoriety, some of it good, some of it bad. But I definitely think that we're becoming more of a, you know, a we're force. A in, we're a thorn in their side at mm-hmm. this moment. That's why some of these things are getting a little bit more probably pressed than maybe they should like with the infighting and stuff. Like I honestly, I could probably count on 10 fingers, the number of people who are enjoying the infighting in this party. Mm-hmm. And you probably have the same 10 people in mind as well. Um, 
outside of this kind of libertarian LPPA bubble, no one gives a shit. Yeah. You know, they feel how much it costs them to put gas in their car. You know, they feel like every goddamn pothole, <clears throat> excuse me, on the road, they feel that because the state's so inept at fixing the roads that they tax us out the ass for. You know, so this, yeah, that we need we need solutions. We don't need bickering. Yeah, and that was kind of my whole point in, in this whole LPPA thing is like, look, nobody cares about this infighting stuff. Nobody cares. If you go up to just some random person on the street and say, oh my God, can you believe what this person from the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania said? They're going to say, what? I do, I, I, I do you know, not care. A lot care. of it can be, can be even more granular than that. If you just walk up to some random person on the street, it's like, do you believe what this caucus said about this other caucus? They're going to look at you and be like, what the fuck is a caucus? Yeah. I thought that right. shit only happened in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, like like literally nobody cares. Um, Tim, you have been awesome. You were very, very generous with your time. And I really, really appreciate you coming on at such last notice. Um, let everybody know where they can find you, where they can support you, and anything cool you got coming up. Um, well, it's winter, so there's not a whole lot coming up. But <laughs> Well, there's um, snow. Yeah, well, around here it's mostly mud. <laughs> yeah it snows and then it melts and then i have mud yeah. um so the website is foxwoodrunfarm.com uh we have pictures of the goats goats that we have for sale prices of meat all that noise how to water um but if you're not in central pennsylvania within like maybe a 40 minute drive of york eh, it's probably not going to matter too much to you uh but we are putting up a uh, a butcher shop an on-site butcher shop here so if you'd like to contribute to that we have a patreon page even though i think patreon kind of sucks but they were quick and easy to set up uh just patreon.com slash foxwood if you want to donate a couple of bucks here or there uh we have a youtube channel as well that's linked up on all the uh on the all the socials or everything but more importantly than that i think everybody should go out and join lppa.org slash join uh become a member of the lppa um it helps the party out it helps the candidates out and it'll help you get your voices voices heard not at this coming convention but at the next one, maybe. <laughs> right. Well, I'm glad you said that because I, I can already hear some people screaming in the background. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or wait till the day after the convention to join lppa.org. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. yeah well, it's what it is. And, um, and I definitely your local affiliates. They need your help more than anything. Absolutely. Um, go door knock and help all those hardworking uh, libertarians out there because we definitely need the help. And I'm very, very glad to see that Pennsylvania is starting to look a little bit more yellow rather than just strictly blue. Yeah, you don't need to settle for red and blue. You deserve gold, baby. I like it. I like it. Well, uh, Tim, we'll end it here. Um, once again, thank you for your time. Thank you. Oh, for thanks for having me. Service. I had a blast. Yeah, of course. So did I. All right. Well, until next time, everybody, this was In Liberty and Health. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.